This is David from the Much Love family. I just wanted to give you a heads up that we were having some technical issues during this session. I hope you can understand. Much love. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Much Love with Kaoki, part of the Much Love family. My name is David, and the skilled artist across from me is Kaoki. This yo, is yo. part of the Polynesian Culture Series. All about This one is all about music. It's history, instruments, and influence on today. So, Kaoki, I, 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 like I've said before, I, I like listening to you and learning about the history, the, the background, and, and how it's influenced you. So, so this one's about music. And I, I know that Polynesian music and, and dancer are really tied. But, you know, I, I want this one to, to be about as much the music, you know, as, as we can focus on. So kind of get, walk me through, you know, the, the different regions and, and how it's affected. You know, I, I guess the, the different islands affect, affect Hawaii and then Hawaii affects, you know, the mainland. Um, so, so take me through it. Give me, give me the story. Oh man, story of music. There you go. Story of music in the islands. Um, man, yeah, it's 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 kind of one of things I don't. Well, once again, like I said before, like to know the exact information. Like maybe I could I could come back later and and maybe do s some more research for the exact dates and times and all stuff that all these happens. Uh, I would say the the modern style of music. I, well, before, as with a lot of older cultures, a lot of them stick to more. Rhythmic beats and chants, you can say all the way back to Africa and Egypt and stuff like that, um, where uh, we didn't have much stringed instruments uh, or any other types of like, it was more drums, a lot of drum beats, a lot okay. of old cultural, we, haul, we, we call it the kahiko or the traditional style or old style of, of drumming. We use forms of drums like pahu drums and ikus and, and gourds and different types of uh, um, uh uh, sound instruments like that kind of like like banging and kind of like you know that kind of stuff like maybe shaking rocks inside the, the, the an empty shell of a coconut shell you know kind of like a maraca kind of thing you know kind of more natural instruments to see around mother nature you know using the yeah. skin of animals to make drum heads and so forth like that I know a lot of us have done that even to this day uh, when we have hula competitions in Hawaii there's two types of hula we do the hula kahiko and the hula awana the hula kahiko is your traditional hula where 90 it's going to be all chanting and a lot of drums and then uh, the, the hula awana is the modern style which carries the instruments the uh, the ukulele the guitar the bass and everything like that um, uh, a lot of the modern style instruments I know didn't come to Hawaii until the missionaries and other people started to come to the islands and started to bring. So I wouldn't say the 17, 1800s stuff like that, that they started to come over and bring instruments. I know the, um, the vaqueros or the, the Mexicans brought the guitar to Hawaii. I know oh, that cool. uh, they, they were, the Mexicans were brought over to Hawaii to teach the Hawaiians how to um, herd cattle. Uh, the Parker Ranch is one of the largest ranches in the nation in the United States, uh, is in the Big Island of Hawaii. And uh, they were all taught to round up cattle and, and raise cattle as the um, uh, foreigners brought these uh, non-native animals to Hawaii, uh, which that big one being the cattle. And uh, the 
Mexicans had brought over the guitar. It's so funny that uh, there's so many different stories and, you know, everybody has their own stories of life, how it goes through. But uh, they say the Mexicans brought the guitar and they taught the Hawaiians how to play the guitar. And then when they left, uh, apparently they had forgotten to tell the, teach the Hawaiians how to tune it. Or something like that. So <laughs> all of the so all of the guitars, I guess they say, went out of tune. And this is the stories that I heard. And you could probably ask right. like a hundred different people, and they'll tell you different stories. You know what I mean? Who's legit? We don't know. It says everybody's grandpa and grandma, great grandmas, tell the stories. You know? And uh, I believe there's a little truth behind every story. But uh, uh, they say that the Hawaiians didn't learn how to tune them, and uh, the strings became extremely slacked or like loose. So the Hawaiians learned to play what they call now kiho alu which is a form of hawaiian slack key what is a which is a if you really listen to it it sounds more like a bluegrass kind of like a bluegrass style of picking where there's a, a more back and forth motion of the thumb and the fingers picking uh almost like a classical style of picking and but the chords and everything is is uh is slacked so all the keys will be tuned to a d or a g or or an a or a b or something like that so they all tune it into the keys and so you have that's what we call kiho alu or slack key um i think also in the 1800s and once again i'm i'm probably just butchering all this information and somebody's no, gonna good. come and they're, and they're gonna be like yogi it was this dates and it's like i i we welcome all the information people so if, you know if, if i'm saying something and you have some information to pass please send some comments you know comment to us and, and let us know more information because that's how we're going to know is by by gathering all of our stories right all i can do is speak of the stories i was told right, right so um right. the next instrument coming down is is uh the ukulele where the ukulele a lot of people think is hawaiian but it's really not even a hawaiian instrument it was actually created by the portuguese um so the Portuguese came to Hawaii to um, help work the sugarcane and the, um, the pineapple plantations. And uh, when they came over, the ships came down, the Portuguese had an instrument that they called the brangina. The brangina was like almost like a mandolin, like a small little stringed instrument. And they played that. Uh, in fact, it was made popular when one of the immigrants, I think there's a story where he jumped off the ship and started singing and playing his brangina and that all the Hawaiians just got like mesmerized by the way it was played. So in those boats where the immigrants had come over, there was a few of uh, craftsmen or, 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 you know, wood, woods working craftsmen. And um, they came to Hawaii with the immigrant crowd. And as they mingled with the Hawaiians and learned a little bit more about the Hawaiian culture and the Hawaiian everything that they, they built the, modified version of the brangina of which we now call the ukulele and it was built by the portuguese for the hawaiians uh and as they as they were here in hawaii and then when the portuguese first started to play the ukulele um they played it so fast kind of like a banjo like super quick and their fingers were moving really fast on the strings and so the hawaiians said it looked like like fleas jumping up and down and so they named it Ukulele, which uku means flea and lele means to jump. So the ukulele is known as the jumping flea. So that's what they oh, got. And that's it was, cool. Yeah, and it's, it's just because of the way the Portuguese would play the instrument so fast and their fingers move so quick, it looked like fleas jumping on the ukulele. So the jumping flea is the ukulele, you know, and then uh, 
later on, eventually, you know, other instruments like the the bass obviously came in later. Um, the the one bass. I think the 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 bass, yeah, that's that's another one that, that came out recently. You know, I think within the last decade or so, I want to say was the uke bass, where it's an actual ukulele, a smallest ukulele, but it's it's got bass strings on it, which is really a dope instrument. Did you pick up one yet, brother? No, not yet, but it, it's on my list. I played one, <laughs> and I, the strings are, are, are different. It, it's it's uh, there there's almost a lot of give to them, so it, it, it's it's really cool. I, I and they're not expensive, so yeah, that, that's that's next on my list. <laughs> yeah, so the the oop bass, but um, uh, I think I want to believe that the the I want to say the only instrument that was created or invented in Hawaii is the lap steel guitar. The lap steel guitar really? yeah, was the only one invented in Hawaii. I think they say that the the uh, ukulele was, was created in Hawaii, but by the Portuguese. So it was technically made in Hawaii off of the branguina or the Portuguese instrument, but it was also still made in Hawaii. Um, the lap steel guitar, the, the story goes, a lot of people tell that there was a gentleman walking down the railroad tracks in Hawaii um, when he found uh, a railroad pin or like the, the spike that they used to drill the, the railroad uh, tracks in. And um, he put his guitar down and he was looking at this pin and the pin dropped and it hit the strings on the guitar and it made a sound. And he was like, hmm. And then he started to run the, the uh, pin across the strings as he played it. And then the guitar was laying on the ground. So that's where he invented what we call today is the lap steel. And that's, that's oh, what was very cool. Yeah. That's kind of similar to a sound like, oh, like a, a Dobro and, and, and stuff like that. It's a really super cool resonating sound. And the lap steel is used in all types of music now from country music and all that stuff like that. Like country people definitely use the lap steel too, but they say that that instrument was created in Hawaii, how it got up to the States. I'm not sure. Uh, uh, like, like I'm sure tattooing, moved from the islands to other countries. I'm sure that it's the same way. They just came to the islands, grabbed the information, and then took it back, you know, made their own version. So so taking it a step back, so did each island have its own rhythmic sound? So like oh, yeah. New Zealand oh, yeah. versus, you know, the, the, um, any of the, the islands, uh, Polynesian, Samoa, you know, all, all of those, did they each have their own rhythms? Oh yeah, each one is definitely distinct to themselves. The island rhythms, like I said, they all start off with, I, I hate using the word primitive, you know, but it's like older instruments. They say older styles of instruments, you know, and a lot of them were drums. A lot of them were the, um, the beating of drums. Hello, can you hear me still? Yeah, yeah, you're good. Okay, a lot of them were the, uh, the, the, the beatings of drums and the sounds of drums and, and, and like I said, once again, like uh, wind instruments and stuff like that that had come out of nature. But each sound was different. Um, the, uh, the Hawaiian, uh, the Maori people had more of a deeper hum on their drum beats, definitely more of a, uh, something like a, a deeper hum resonating with uh, the earth and everything like that. There's there a lot of there's a lot of foot pounding from their haka uh, and stuff like that. Very very distinct beats. Um, Tongans uh, have some really awesome beats. Um, Tahitians are some of the most complicated drumming. Tahitian drumming, we'll take it to this. You, you can Google this later. Tahitian drumming 
will blow your mind. Like they're, really? they have, yeah, they have like hollowed out logs. And a lot of them have uh, different um, names for them. Uh, uh, the toere is one of them. Um, then they have smaller drums, uh, drums like the, like the fatete and other different types of drums um, that they have. And they, it's like a band. But imagine everybody in the band playing a different beat. And then they oh, all wow. come together to make one beat. So they have one guy in the toere and he's going and he does that repetitively. But the guy sitting next to him is going then another guy sitting next to him is going and they're playing a different beat for everybody, but it comes together as one song. Wow. That's it crazy. is yeah, it's phenomenal. I got a friend of mine, um, Mark, and he used to be a heavy metal drummer. And as soon as he went to a Tahiti Fet or a Tahiti drumming competition they had up in California, he got just his mind blown. And now he does nothing but drum Tahitian and he bounces around from Tahitian group to Tahitian group just drumming. And this is a guy who's a heavy metal drummer, just loves like really fast drumming and just other stuff. And the speed and speed work of the toere and just the motion of the toere where there is it's it's a hollowed out log let's say about three feet long two feet two to three feet long and then if they stand it upright to where the hollowed outside it goes along the long edge of it so it's like a canoe it looks like a canoe so it's just hollowed okay. out the long the long part and then they turn it sideways and they hit on the side of the actual log and with a stick uh, um, and the stick they're using one hand. So it's not two hands like an American style drumming where you're drumming on drum heads or other styles where you're drumming on a drum head. They're using one hand to hold the toilet up and the other hand to, to hit the beats. But they can drum as fast, if not faster, than somebody using two hands with one hand. It's the technique of drumming, which is super unique. So the Tahitians have a definite unique sound to their... I mean, each one, once again, has their own unique sound and it's crazy. The Tongans are used to having like massive drums. And there's just usually this really, really super huge guy that's behind them. And a lot of their beats are kind of like And they have like really super dope beats. Like each Polynesian best thing to do is you go to Polynesian Culture Center out in Hawaii. And they have, it's like a theme park. And in the theme park, they have villages. And in each village is a different culture in Polynesia. There's a village in, for New Zealand. There's a village for Hawaii, a village for Samoa, a village for Tonga, and all these different cultures. And then in the end, at the end of the night, when you're done, they, they have like a luau at night. And then they have a big show. And you can listen to every single type of their music. And they do it in a village, too, where they play their music. They teach you their dance. They teach you arts and crafts for each one of their cultures. It's super dope. Like, eventually, I want to build a massive one, like a world culture here in Georgia, where we do the same thing, where you have a park that has villages for every culture in the world. And you can you can walk to each culture and learn how to dance Chinese, and learn how to dance African, learn how to dance, you know, Russian and all these different things. And to share arts and crafts for each one of those cultures and to share the actual culture of each culture. Because in Hawaii, we have that, which is called Polynesian Culture Center. It's some dope so stuff. So it all it all funnels in, and it did, does Hawaii have its own? Did did they have their own unique sound to start with, or no? Just all Polynesian culture kind of filtered in and created the sound that way. 
I think I think they all because they say that a lot of the Polynesians had migrated from Southeast Asia. So I think we all started with a bass sound, maybe a bass rhythm. And what's I tell you, it's, it's it's the rhythm of the earth, the rhythm of nature, right? Wherever you go in the world, nature will have a different rhythm. Nature would have a different essence to her. Mother Nature in herself is a is a plethora of of sounds and 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 motions and 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 shapes and everything in this in this world. So as you go to different places, I think that whoever ended up in that area ended up creating a culture of their own, which we're all cousins of some sort, you know, if you go back the hundreds of thousands of years, but we are all, uh, we all have kind of similarities to each other, but a distinct difference to one another, if that makes sense. No, 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 it definitely does. And so as far as the musicians, so mm-hmm. who, who are some of the ones that, that, started you know the 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 popularity and and you know just today because i i I don't really know any historical musicians or or current polynesian musicians oh wow yeah um you know you got to think that tourism in hawaii i mean i guess you have the more of the traditional once again the kahiko the the drumming style and the hula and everything from back in the days that came and as the instruments started to come over it didn't start getting popularized i think until the early 1920s that's when tourism really started boosting in hawaii that's when hawaii first really started to become a tourist destination and not just a living destination because a lot of people before they'll go oh we'll live in this new land kind of like how the pilgrims did coming from Europe to America. There's this new land to go to. You know what I mean? It wasn't looked at as a place of destination to go to, to vacation. You know, the sense of vacation was never, you know, back in the days, it you didn't just go to someplace because you wanted to vacate. You know, it was because you either had to move there or you were going to work there, you know? Um, so when Hawaii started to become a tourist destination, it was the early 1900s, uh, ocean liners started to come to Hawaii. Um, airplanes were just about starting to be made, you know, right in the early, early 1900s, you know. Um, uh, so uh, the ocean liners were the first to come to Hawaii. Then they started to take the instruments and everything and started to play music in an entertaining way. And the people of America started to turn Hawaii into a tourist kind of thing and we already had the um hospitality hospitality it was big in the islands because we learned to take care and cater to each other it was a big part of our culture and so they used that in in the tourism and how they brought that over as a luring thing and then they started to modernize the the hula and the dance and then we started to get old school people's like like for me growing up it was the anti genoa chiaves it was the um uh Gabby Pahinui's, it was the, um, all those kind of old, and even then, going back before that, like Lena Machado, and a, and a lot of the, the old school, um, Abigail Pililao, a lot of old school Hawaiian musicians that started to modernize and take that. I believe uh, Jesse Kalima was the first gentleman to um, electrify the ukulele, where he taped a microphone to the side of an ukulele when he played. So they didn't have to have a microphone in front of him. He taped the microphone to it. So that became the first kind of electrified ukulele was from Jesse Kalima. And then as the ukulele started to uh, become a big part of the island music, the traditional music, um, you know, we made our, our hula awana once again, where you had the, uh, usually it was the guitar and the ukulele. And then they added the bass, the upright bass uh, eventually. But um, then in the 1980s, 70s, 80s, you're talking um, 
rock and roll was really big in America. And as the tourists would come over and get influenced by the Hawaiians, the Islanders going back to America, it was happening vice versa. The Americans were bringing over. Hawaii became a state in 1959, you know, but we had American influence before that. You know what I mean? So World mm-hmm. War II. All that stuff like that that brought over the influence of America into it, and the music started to change. American music started to influence Hawaiian music, even the the composition of music, how music was put together. You're talking like you know, uh, even our old school, like our Queen Queen Liliu Kalani was writing music, composing music of more of a, I would say they were more classical, kind of like a European ish kind of like a ballads and stuff like that, that that type of music because they had bands and people came over music was different back then right and then as it moved rock and roll came in a lot of different things so the ukuleles and different instruments started to electrify you brought in the keyboards in the 70s you know you brought in you know different things uh groups like kalapana came out which were some of the first groups to have a full electric band where the guitar players were playing electric guitars as well as having keyboards and different things like that where mm-hmm. Kalapana was a very big band at that time they played a lot of like kind of like covers of like Hall and & Oates and a lot of uh really? different stuff. yeah so super cool stuff like remakes of the actual music that was influencing coming in you know um uh going back a little bit farther um uh Don Ho was a very big uh influencer of uh, or pushing the island styles of music where he sang songs like tiny bubbles you know what i mean you know uh, um where also elvis came to hawaii you know and then elvis sang his his music of hawaii and stuff like that so as the hawaiian culture once again starting from the 1920s when it started to become a tourist destination and as world war world war one world war two came through as hawaii was occupied in world war two then eventually becoming a state in 1959 like the music and the influence of the cultures like literally skyrocketed um like i said so we had all of that don ho uh, once again uh a big like um like a show host and everything for all the tourists. A lot of tourists came in. They wanted to hear the Don Ho's of that, that stuff that, uh, right. sing, what we call in Hawaii, hapahauli music. Hapahauli music is, is music that was meant for the tourists that was sung in English. Like, um, uh, we would sing, uh, our songs in Hawaiian, the native language. But then as the more the tourists came over, we would translate our songs to sing English. You know, that's where Don Ho once came to tiny bubbles in the wine, you know, stuff like that, that they started to come out, you know, uh, like Elvis singing Blue Hawaii and stuff like that, you know. All of these Americanized or what we call Hapahauli songs came out because of that American influence. And then in the 1980s, reggae hit Hawaii, which is really kind of more my era, kind of understanding, you know, you're talking Eddie LeVette, Eddie Grant, you know, um, a lot of the old school uh, reggae singers started to become popular. And then we had guys in Hawaii like uh, Brother No and, um, and uh, Tony Conjugation and guys like that back in the days. Or even um, uh, Kelly Boy DeLima and his group Kapena, which uh, took that reggae and then turned it into our own island sound. And our reggae at first started off with Brother Nolan, um, Butch Helemano. And a lot of guys like that, where they took the literal reggae of the time, and then it eventually evolved where, um, uh, what is that, uh, Capena was one of the first where they would have the 
ukulele playing into the reggae songs where you would have ukulele solos in it as well as the reggae music and it really started to jump into an actually what we called it started off with brother nolan and with the jawaiian movement the jamaican hawaiian movement and it was that i've never heard movement. of that yeah we call that's it Jawaiian a, movement. sorry that's ahead. really cool no 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 that that's really cool yeah i was wondering you know where the the confluence of the ukulele and other island music you know when when did that kind of start to come together because I, I i know like you said island music you know reggae music started to become really big there so you know when you have two that that go into each other it comes out as a whole new music so that that would be really cool to listen to i'm gonna have to listen to that brother nolan yeah brother nolan it, it was was a big one back in the days a butch Helemano, H-E-L-E-M-A-N-O. Helemano was another great one. Uncle Butch was was one of the and and him and and um, brother Nolan were some of the big first influencers of that reggae sound, starting that Jawaiian movement. And then um, and then Kelly Boy de Lima and the group Capena just took it to the next level with the ukulele. And you understand the ukulele was you know yeah it was electrified, but it was still an instrument that were electric instruments like electric guitars and stuff like it was still expensive and the Hawaiians didn't make a lot of money. We didn't have a lot of, so we used the instruments we knew and you just played the beats, the reggae beats with our own instruments. And Kelly Boyd de Lima came out and just ripped into the new world in the eighties into reggae him. Um, uh, what's that? Uh, brother Walter is another one. Walter Ipolani, which is a, a good friend of my dad's growing up. He was also a part of that same kind of style of movement with, um, the uh, uh, Capena. Then he had other groups like Ho'aikane and a lot of other groups that just took that reggae music, the Manao Company, that just ran with it. And I, all through the 90s, like I'm not going to lie, being a kid in Hawaii in the 90s, it was some of the coolest times because we really found a sense of our own music. Not the sense of the cultural, like traditional stuff, but it, it, that reggae really took hold in Hawaii and it, it gave us a, a groove that was like like what we call, and even the Jamaicans or anybody from the islands will tell you, like there's an island feel to it. That just that mellow, relaxed, kickback. Life is good. Life may be hard right now. Life may be difficult. You may have a hard time at work, but you know what? We're happy. We're alive, and we're still here to to enjoy this beauty that we have called life and the, and the islands and the water. And it just had that vibe to it. And Hawaii really built it. And when I was in the 90s, when I was in high school with my friends that were behind the buildings, my miscreant friends, and we were doing it. They were playing that island reggae. And it was just a thing. And, and at the same time, we had also, once again, the vaqueros taught the Hawaiians how to play guitar. So in turn, we also played a lot of country music, which a lot of people don't even know that Hawaiians do. But a lot of our songs that people play at home, like not recorded like Israel Kamakavivola, like people eventually knew him, Brother Ids who sang that Somewhere Over the Rainbow, like the Hawaiian, traditional Hawaiian stuff, country music and country style of music has been big in Hawaii for years. So Kaal Crater Boys and the group Palolo were really big groups back in the 90s when I was growing up where they had that kind of like country kind of like a, a, a sound to all their music with a little bit of bluegrass style of picking and stuff like that, which is super dope. But that combined with the reggae and stuff was really our thing. We could sing about our emotions and then we could just just, just laugh it up and, and have that good vibe with reggae. And that's where me and my friends started to play 
music where eventually almost all of my friends from high school ended up in professional recording groups and i was the guy who joined the army to take care of my son's money <laughs> well i i heard so I, I this was a while ago i i heard something on on youtube actually that you played on and it was it was called slack key guitar so now i know what slack key is but yeah it was you were on the recording i was Oh man, I gotta look for this recording. You'd be surprised how many, <laughs> how many, how many things. Like, like, there's something on YouTube. My friends were like, "Dude, I heard you talking about some things." I'm like, "Where?" They're like, "On YouTube." I'm like, "What?" Like, there's something on YouTube. I'm, like, I'm just not the most digitally qualified guy, man. So I can't even know. Yeah, it's, it's friends it, that uploaded it. Midnight Hawaiian Serenade is the is what huh. it's called. Wow, that is super dope. <laughs> I'm gonna go look it up. So, in your own music, what do you, I, I know that you've got the electrified? Do you, you throw distortion on it, or you throw effects on it? Do you get into creating your own, or is it just you know using kind of what what you've done before? Oh, no, I, I, see, my music when it comes down to me playing music, like it's like I'm as versatile as the people that I grew up with in this world, and. Uh, my dad, it goes into crazy deeper, like other things. Like, so my dad's family is originally from Alabama. So my dad was okay. born in, my dad was born in Gary, Indiana. My grandfather's from Alabama. Where in Alabama? I don't know yet, but we're the Davis family <laughs> from Alabama. So he moved to Hawaii, um, ended up marrying a Hawaiian woman. We have Hawaiian, but then my grandmother was Chinese Hawaiian. So got that. My mom's family are from Puerto Rico as well as Scotland. So all that growing up, my dad was a Southern man. So my dad, before even before we got to Hawaii, you're talking like, you know, we're living in Germany, we're living in Panama, all those places. My dad listened to a lot of Southern and classic rock. So you're talking, I was raised with Leonard Skinner. I was raised with Marshall Tucker Band. You know, um, uh, you're talking Captain and Tennille. You're talking the Eagles, America, Steve Miller. My dad just loved that era. Elton John, all that kind of stuff. So my dad was really deep into that rock. And then my mom was a Motown woman. My mom loved Motown from the Temptations to the Shy Lights to the Manhattans. You're talking the Commodores, you know, uh, um, uh, uh, what's that? Smokey Robinson, all that kind right. of Whitney Houston, Taylor Dane, you know, all that stuff. So my mom raised us in that all the way through. Uh, MC Hammer was in my younger days back in the late 80s, you know, <laughs> back when Bobby Brown was singing, you know, you know, New Edition, you know, it's like that kind of stuff, the old school, like. Freddie Jackson, you know, uh, you know, Johnny Gill, you know, a whole lot of old school R&B and Motown. So then I got home to Hawaii in the 90s. My dad got home to Hawaii in 1991. I think I was like 12, 13 years old. Then from there, the island reggae and that kind of stuff kind of took over me. But I had already been raised with like, you know, Don Henley and, 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 and Glenn Fry, the guys from the Eagles or, you know, also coming from the 80s in America, in Texas, being raised with listening to the whole you know, um, appetite for destruction and freaking, you know, right. guns and guns and roses were like my stuff, man. I love guns and roses back in the day. They were my favorite thing. And then going through living in America, once again, I didn't get home to Hawaii until I was, you know, like eighth grade. So living my whole youth in America, I was listening to, you know, Poison, Def Leppard, you know, you know, it's like John Bon Jovi, you know, so that in the 80s growing up. And then my mom was, uh, 
what I call the takeover of the 80s of America, takeover of America in the 80s, like you're talking the Eurythmics, uh, um, you're talking like a uh, uh, flock of seagulls, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, the yeah, Dire Straits. <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead, brother. No, 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 I was just laughing. Yeah, that, that's a mashup of music. Yeah, so I was raised with my mom and dad. Like my dad, every weekend, same thing. He would put on the same album, Leonard Skinner. Um, it was the Street Survivors. My dad would play his Street Survivors album. Then from there, it was the Eagles, Greatest Hits, all that kind of stuff. So once again, raising that with my dad. My dad was consistent. But my mom jumped around to all that. Like I said, all the 80s stuff, you know, all the stuff, you know, in excess, you know, all these old school bands that came out in the 80s. Then from there, I got to Hawaii where um, right before we got home to Hawaii, hip-hop just started to make a massive break in the late 80s you know you're talking queen latifah you're talking old school ll cool j ice t you're talking you know all those kind of guys you know uncle luke two life crew you know a whole lot of rap was going on fushnikins was one of my favorite bands you know you're talking like you know krs1 you know uh, digital plants all these kind of bands were coming out they got to hawaii where reggae was big but then it was also the time right when biggie was out Tupac was out. Uh, Bone mm -hmm. Thugs and Harmony just came out. You're talking Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg. Like the influences of music in my life were just ridiculous. Like I probably should have taken a career in the music industry with the amount of music and versatility that I've had with music. You know, where I got some of my friends here who have listened to country music their whole life and will only listen to country music, you know? And so it's like, like my. Yeah, that's. That's not my favorite of, of all the music, you know, country <laughs> music. That that's just not my thing. Everything you, even the the Fushnikins, even with when Shaquille O'Neal was in the Fushnikins. Yeah. Uh, true Fushnik. I remember that. Yeah. Uh, and that, that Shaquille O'Neal did that. What's up, Doc? That What's up, Doc? Yep. Can we rock? What's up, Doc? Can we rock? That that was a super <laughs> song, but. Yeah, country music. I had to learn to get used to country music when uh, I, I graduated high school and I joined the, the military and I got stationed in Texas for six years. And you get stuck in Texas for six years, you can't dodge country music. It's like living in Florida. You can't dodge hurricanes. It's just going to come, yeah. you know? So, yeah. <laughs> so country music, I learned to appreciate it and love it. Back then, uh, uh, my first concert I ever went to was uh, uh, Tim McGraw. I watched Tim McGraw. Really? Yeah, and I was in a military training out actually in uh, Fort Sill, Oklahoma, and uh, and then uh, um, was that uh, Garth Brooks came out, you know, and Tim McGraw and all that kind of stuff, and that's when I really got into music, country music, and uh, that's when uh, was at the time the Dixie Chicks were starting to come up big, you know, it was the Shania Twain era and all that kind of stuff, and country music had some really dope music. You thought Reba McIntyre was coming out? You, I mean, we weren't like. Like it was different because like I like the contemporary modern country where you got the usual the you know like like uh oh my darling oh my yeah. darling you know that's like your classic classic old school you know I wasn't raised in the um uh with Johnny Cash era you know so I don't know much about that kind of country music I, I wasn't raised in that my dad didn't listen to too much of that country he liked that rock but um me when I got into country it was around that Tim McGraw and that Garth Brooks era and stuff like Travis Tritt we listen to that kind of stuff like that you know so uh Harry Connick you know Harry Connick Jr and stuff like that so I listened to a lot of that country music with my friends in the military I learned to appreciate it but my level of music brother is unbelievable I always go back to me playing I have my ukulele like you said I I electrify my ukulele I'm actually I have a friend who has a band they play 
uh, um, every once in a while, every other weekend out here in, in uh, up in the northern parts of Atlanta and like Dawsonville and stuff like that. And they're like, a, they're like just a diverse band, but many heavier stuff. They like to, you know, they play that, um, what that, um, they play uh, Rage Against the Machine, you know. Oh, really? They'll, they'll, yeah, they play that kind of stuff. They they love like, you know, like Metallica. They love all that kind of heavier stuff. But they will play like the 311 the Limp Biscuit, you know, they'll play you know, all the other, other kind of cool stuff. The Sugar Rays, you know what I mean? They'll play all the super kind of like, they play that Green Day. Oh my God, they play Green Day Basket Case. Unbelievable. Yeah. Like these guys are awesome. So my friends, we're all musicians. We have to play. And they told me like, Kyoki, like, you know, you need to come out and jam with us. So I'm figuring out a way to electrify my ukulele and jam solos with like, let's say I want to do personally, I want to do November Rain by Guns N' Roses and do the solo with an ukulele. That's what I want to do. That's going to be my thing. That's I, so when I was, I was 12, actually I was, I was 13. I, <laughs> uh, for, you know, my, the one gift that I wanted. Um, so I, I, I was bar mitzvah at, at 13 and, you know, you always get like a, a, a significant gift and ah. mine was, a, a I wanted a Les Paul only because of November rain like that, yeah. that that was it that and I always wanted to play that solo and never 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 learned enough to do it but no that would be incredible on a ukulele oh my god I've just been man and I got my first Les Paul ukulele so it's an actual Les Paul that is like shrunk down to the size of an ukulele and it's got four strings on it tuned like an ukulele but the whole thing looks like a Les Paul that's really cool <laughs> it's super dope. So my music, I love, I just love to sing. I guess the big thing, my dad, them were never musicians. My dad, them were singers. And so we, they just sang every, every weekend, even if they didn't have an instrument, they just sang. Uh, if they didn't have somebody playing, I was the, one of the first one, my dad, them to play the music and sing. And it, it became a big part of me, but to understand cultures and people and where their music comes from to sing Hispanic music to sing, you know, mariachi to sing, you know, Japanese style of music or, you know, even African style, but to sing different types of music. Even, um, uh, what is his name? The, the guy who sings Conte Partido, the Conte Partido. That song, like, um, um what's his name? Um, Pavar not Pavarotti. Um, He's blind, but right? In the same, in the same. I don't think he's blind, but he sings in that same kind of style of that four tenors, like Pavarotti and those kind of guys, you know, stuff. So he sings that style. But um, man, people are gonna listen to this and they're gonna kill me. They're gonna like, Kyuki doesn't even know his name. You know, it's gonna be <laughs> nuts. But um, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, so. But my influence in music, I love all kinds of music. I believe music is a way to has a way of touching your soul. I think music, as with all things, if you want to go through, like people tell science and, and frequencies and the frequency of the earth and the frequency and 432 hertz and all these different sciences that you get into, that how the science of shapes and sound and how they take those little sand and they make the vibrations and the, and the sand makes different shapes due to the, um, the vibrations of sound. Like it's so totally crazy that the sound of music can trigger an emotion inside your body that can bring back memories that can 
that can calm somebody, that can bring a rage in somebody, that can literally change you emotionally. And I think that's the one thing I love about music. Music in all its shapes and sizes, just like people and culture. I think it's unbelievable, brother. Yeah, I, I didn't know the 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 cultural impacts of everyone coming to Hawaii, like who brought the ukulele, who taught that style of music was, you know, the, the Mexicans and the, the Portuguese, you know, that I, I wouldn't have thought that it was that kind of the little pieces from each culture. I mean, it makes sense. I, all the, the pieces that make up a culture make up its music. So, uh, and, and kind of tying it back into tattoos, uh, how do you use music to to make it flow, like to elicit the right reaction, to strike that right chord within the person you're tattooing, plus to get you in, into the right zone. Well, what are your your preferred music styles for all of that? I know you're you're you listen to everything, but is is there one kind of niche that gets the most out of you, and what you found gets the most out of the people you're tattooing? Well, I, I believe that there's so many different ones. The the connection to what's again the sound, the vibrations, the rhythms of everything gets people into into movement. You know, sound uh, uh, invigorates movement. And so for me, when I listen to music, or depending on the person that I'm that I'm talking to, whoever my customer is, there's a vibe and energy person. And what I'll do is I'll try to find a vibe. A lot of the times, people that come in, they match my energy. My energy is very mellow, very relaxed. I can play my island reggae. It's nice and smooth, mellow. But there are some people that come in where they have an emotional trauma. They have things that they've been through, a different purpose for their tattoo. So we tend to put on sometimes music that could be a little bit more aggressive um, because I'm trying to understand their emotion and trying to understand what they want this tattoo to mean. So and then I have to put myself in their state in their mind. I tell people I have to understand them and understand what they're trying to portray in order to portray this this image, you know what I mean? And so um, uh, I, I get into it. So sometimes I get into the music. And then even when I do my patterns, each one of my patterns, how the pattern gets laid down is a rhythm in itself. You know, um, I, I was teaching my, my, uh, my apprentices that the way, if you look at different tattoo artists and how they place their designs, they have a rhythmic pattern to it and everything. I, I, I also talk about it in, the, um, in like writing for writers who write books that everybody uses the words and is and was, but how you put it into play in your book, how you put them in there will tell me if you're a fictional writer, if you're nonfiction, if you're, you're writing a biography, a bibliography, all these different, different categories and how you can do and, 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 and make your writing is by how you place those words together, how times use and is and was and all that kind of stuff. Same thing with my, my tattoos, my patterns, my triangles and everything, the way that they go together. There's a rhythm to my 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 thing. I tell them I'll put a small design next to a big design, next to a small design, next to a big design. Sometimes I'll do a small, small, big, small, 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 big, 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 small. You know what I'm saying? But the rhythm mm -hmm. of the person determines that pace that I have. And usually it's also by the music that I listen to. The music that I listen to, just like 
the vibrations of sound with the sand changing to different objects, the music that I listen to, the, the conversations that I have with people influence the energy and how shapes and sounds come out. So I'm just like that plate that holds the sand. And as we talk about what we're doing, that's the sound and the vibration going through my mind and my body. And then it vibrates and then the images come out. And that's just kind of what it is. Like I tell people, I, I, my, my job is I don't do tattoos. I connect with people. Tattoos are just the byproduct. Tattoos are the, it's me making, that me and that person making sound and the vibration into that connection from them to me, which is the sound plate. I create images from that. Does that make sense? Oh, no, it definitely does. And I, like in our other episodes, you know, the, the history, even, even if the dates are wrong, the, there's still so much that you impart on me and I, I hope impart on the, the people listening and give a sense of where you come from, what has helped define you, but also what others can get out of it, what, what others can build off of from the knowledge. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm constantly in awe and I, I really appreciate all of it, man. I, I, I can't thank you enough for all of it. No, thank you, brother. Thank you. It's, it's, I always enjoy sharing it. My grandmother used to tell me, he who has knowledge has the responsibility to pass it. So that's all we're just doing is just we learned a lot in life and we're trying to pass that on. So hopefully we can help everybody out there and just spread that much love, man. Just much love. Yeah, much love, man. I, I, I love you. Much love to everyone. And I hope you're all part of the much love family. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Aloha.